0: This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show and today I'm joined with Julian van der Waal who is one of Australia's leading authorities on face-to-face sales and also business growth as well. So Julian, thank you for being a guest. Thanks for having me. So one of the things that I really got curious about, especially with people that run businesses, people that are business growth types, you know, like yourself, is how you got started. So were you the lemonade stand kid or any of that? Share a bit about your backstory.
1: Yeah, interesting question, actually. I've never been asked that before, to be honest. Um, no, it's not, it's not really been that type of uh, background, if, if I'm completely honest. I come from a bit of a sporting background I wasn't great at school and then kind of um you know to be to be perfectly honest I kind of just fell my way into various situations and and um without any design or or you know precursors that it just kind of all happened you know so come from a sporting background and then I moved into cooking um the only reason why I moved into cooking because I was eating so much and I kind of needed work for racing and I needed uh, money for racing and had to work. And my mum said, why don't you, you know, start cooking. And, and to be honest, that was actually the end of my racing career. So the goal was to become a professional cyclist and, and work my way through the ranks and, and I was racing and riding probably about 600 to 800 K's a week through school. And then when I left school, got up to a thousand, which is actually more than what the pros are doing right now. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and then got into cooking and, did, you know, did a four-year apprenticeship in around about 13 months and then found myself into sales after I left the company, uh, left the restaurant and, um, yeah, the, the rest is kind of history. So that's the last sort of 25, 20, 25 years in in 30 seconds. But there was nothing that really stood out in regard to, um, you know, some people at school are, are selling, you know, buying packets of chips and selling them individually and, uh, there was nothing like that for me, so one thing that I do remember at school was was the urge and the desire to to be something better and to be something more. That was definitely true you know when I was working in the restaurant when I was very very young, it was always for the family that i that i hadn't have that i didn't have yet and um and now that i got four kids and a and a wife it's I'm glad that I have that work I think that's been very well um you know, the the DNA of of myself and my father is just to work hard. So, um, there's been certain times in my life where I've had to really dig deep and, and dig myself out of some serious holes, um, both financially and personally and in relationships and, and that work ethic's definitely shone through. So so yeah, there was never really a massive um focus on becoming an entrepreneur or, or becoming a business owner. It just it just kind of happened and, and then outside of running businesses and I've gone back into employment and and found myself a little bit unemployable where I see now that when I work for someone else that can always be done better or different ways that I can do things or um, and that's how we got into solar which was about three or four years ago so I was working for a solar company and I just saw some things that I thought I could do better and they pissed me off enough and I set up my own solar company and <laughs> now I'm a
0: national two years later. so <laughs> yeah. What gave you the forethought to think that far ahead in terms of doing things for a family that you didn't even have yet? Was that just you've had the time to think about those things or was there a bit more to it?
1: Um, I guess, you know, our family at home was always quite strong. We have a very... Um, not odd relationship, but, you know, every family has got something. Um, Our family is no different. There's some things there that aren't great. And there's some things that are absolutely incredible. So, um, but I knew that if it wasn't so much family up, but family down, that was super important to me. It's, you know, it's a tattoo on my back. Um, Dreams, family, courage, where you have to have a dream. Family's everything, but you need to have courage to chase your dreams. And it's kind of that um, circular, you know, circular economy of, of working for something greater than yourself. I think that's quite powerful. Um, and, and I think having a legacy outside of finances and, and what you leave behind in this world is super important. Maybe that's why we're in solar now, but, you know, that that's super important. And I think a lot of people don't miss that part when they're trying to create wealth or trying to create the success for themselves.
0: Where do you think the desire to be more and do more... Is that just from the idea of working hard and you saw how far you could take it? What was it going through your mind when you were thinking, Okay, there needs to be more than just pay bills and die, so to speak?
1: Um, like I said, growing up we didn't have much. You know, I, I do remember times and, and my parents are very good at hiding things. I know that my dad was working very, very hard and my mum was working, she was a, a music teller, still is a music teacher. Um, but we didn't really have you know, we didn't really have much. We didn't really have birthday parties and i do know that they 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 both struggled when they um you know when we were growing up and and sort of almost the point that putting food on the table was was about all they could do and education you know there was not um yeah there, there was not the holidays there was not the nice cars there was there was you know okay shelter um and food sometimes we'd get soy sauce with, with rice. And, and uh, you know, so so we didn't really grow up with much, but I knew that life wasn't about struggle. I knew that life was more, there was more to it. I don't know where that came from. Maybe struggles as a kid growing up of of looking at my friends. And, I, and I, in high school, I went to a very, very expensive school and, and looking at the way other people have driving their BMWs and you know, any whatever sport they went into, the kid went into, they always had the best gear, and and I we didn't have any of that. And maybe having less struggles for my kids would be would be a good idea. But in some way, those struggles make it who you are, right? So, so sometimes struggle is not a bad thing. So, but I definitely know that it came from there.
0: Share a bit about the the value of struggles then, because you mentioned not wanting your kids to struggle as much as you how important is struggle and adversity and i mean i've spoken to a lot of people that say very similar to yourself where i don't want my family to go through the same things that i went through but then I've got the tug of war of what I benefited. I got to the other side. I've took skills and a mindset and an unshakableness that you can't get from an easy and softer way of living.
1: Yeah, it's <laughs> that's the conundrum as a parent, right? Cause you always want to give your kids more than what you had. And, and I'm sure rich, poor or in between it, it's always the same. Um, but definitely, uh, you know, wanting to pass on the the strength and resilience um, to you, to your kids. They need to go through struggles, and I, and even to the point where you know we've got four daughters, four kids ourselves, and all under the age of seven, down to two. So so when they're at school, there's that and they and they go through troubles. The the first thing you want to do is as, a, as as a parent, and especially as a dad, I think it's probably more so from that masculinity, but definitely as, as a mum as well. Um, I see it in my wife, where you want to jump in and you want to save them. And and sometimes you just got to let them tread water for a bit. You know, my my mum told me constantly, and I still remember this, there was times at 31 years old where business wasn't that great. I'm 39, 40 this year. And she goes, oh, it's character building. And you're thinking, oh, man.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Where will the character building end, eh?
1: Yeah, the character I was like, I'm 30 years old. Like my character's built already. Right. So, um, but I, it, you know, it, it does shape you in a way that you feel respectful for, for what you have and you feel very, there's definitely part of that childhood that you wish you were, it was easier, but you're also grateful because if it was easy and you didn't have that resilience and had gone through that adversity and seen the struggles and, and seen your dad work so much where that work ethic is kind of normal where I see 12 hours of work being, I thought that was normal because that's what I saw, right? So when you see all that, it, it allows you to dig deep into certain situations where you need to dig yourself out of a hole. You know, we've been in financial situations where business isn't great and that's, that's part of business. But if you didn't have that strength, that resilience by or created by the adversity and, and the sacrifice that you've made previously, then I'd wonder how much slower you get out of it or you just kind of give up and, and die for, for a better term, not, not physically, but metaphorically, and just give up and go, oh, this is just too hard. And I, and I do see that a lot in young kids. You know, our last company outside of Solo, we trained 3,500 sales agents and they're all millennials, right? So, so they really struggled with when. Shift that hard, excuse my language. Like when things are difficult they really struggle and they and they do not know how to handle that and and I think that's a r gonna be a real big issue as the kids grow up.
0: I think it's a weird way of trying to be better than our past. It's weird because when when I try to mentor kids and all those things, it's almost like a helicopter parenting where you set them off and you just make sure they don't do any serious damage but anything less than that they learn from it either way and it's it's tough for me as well because I, I have to sit there and bite my tongue the entire time and not say anything not do anything and the only words that really come out of my mouth is you've got to take something from it you've just got to no matter what it is you've got to take something from it that you can use that you can do something with because otherwise it's a bit of a useless experience where if you can find something doesn't matter what it is as long as it's helpful then it's always worth it but as someone that tries to mentor kids and parents kids and just tries to have kids grow up better than me you know that kind of i would just want kids that are better than i am it's difficult. You've almost got to do less than your head's telling you to do. Your head's saying you've got to stop them, you've got to protect them, you've got to... And you think, imagine what I'd be like if I was overprotected, if I was overcoddled, if I had everything done for me, how weak would I be? How struggle-prone would I become because I've not built the resilience or strength or skills or capabilities that come from not having any other choice?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I remember when I was doing a lot of cycling, no one took me into a race. <laughs> no one got up and watched me. No one, you know, told me to go train at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning and do 60 to 130 Ks before school in, in year 11 and 12. No one told me to do that. I just did it. So, you know, whereas where you see these kids <clears throat> where their mum's telling them to do things. And, and look, just because you're not very good at something at the start doesn't mean you should stop, right? It really doesn't, if anything, you should probably keep going. You, Cause if you always stop, you never, you're unconsciously incompetent to begin with. You're never going to get, uh, sorry. Um, yeah. You're never going to get unconsciously competent. You're unconsciously incompetent. You're never going to get through to the fourth stage of learning. Right. So, so, you know, my daughter, I remember she's now seven. And my second one's learning to swim. She's, she's five now, six next month. And, when they both started, they were so scared of the water. I I don't remember being that scared, to be honest. I I never remember crying in the pool and, and kind of took a little bit, took it a little bit easier anyway. So, so they both have done pretty much exactly the same thing. When they first started, they were losing their mind, crying all the time. And, and it was quite a traumatic experience, both for them and, and really for us. And sometimes you almost think, is it more, more, is it more traumatic for us or them, you know, (laughs)
0: Um,
1: but, and almost the point where my second daughter, she started to swim completely lost her mind, very traumatic. And I said to my wife, I said, look, this is not going to be a positive experience. So let's just stop it. Stop. Number one, stop wasting your money. Like just stop wasting your money. It's there's no positive outcome. That's going to come from this at all. Let's just keep it for the winter. It's cold anyway. She doesn't want to do it, but, she will have to learn to swim next time well and same with my oldest daughter you know just stop it for six months and start next summer and we've both done that and then got them back into water and now they're both swimming and and my second daughter she just started swimming again and i thought you know usually the dynamics between my wife is very different because when they then with when when they're with dad they've got no other choice they have to get in the water (laughs) it's like you're you gotta go in, so mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> whereas where sometimes my wife's a very very kind nurturing um woman so so sometimes there's an out there whereas with dad there's there's no out you're in the water I'll throw you in like that's there's two outcomes you either get in or you're going in <laughs> it's singular
0: <laughs> yeah it it's a weird thing isn't it because I've got some experience with sport as well, and I found that. In sport, there's very little choice in that when you're competing, you've got options. If something happens, you react, you respond, you do what you think's best. In life, you don't get that level of focus so much unless you force it, unless you give people two options that, instead of 20 options. There's this sense of the less options you have, the easier it is in some cases because you don't have to think as much. Is that something that you can agree with? And also, did you take that into when you first started your companies?
1: Well, that's sales 101, right? Alternate closes. If you give the customers too many answers or too many options and they can't make a decision, you know, if there's would be like finance or cash or would you like to put on your credit card and would you like to put half on finance and half deposit? And you're like, the customer's like, whoa. I'm not even sure I've made a yes yet let alone all these payment options so so yeah keeping it very very simple is is super important and that and that's psychological and that's any decision moving forward um I definitely think the sporting backgrounds give me a great insight to business you know in regard to competition in regard to um, cycling for for an example seeing gaps in the market or seeing gaps and how to you know um, take opportunities that that's cycling 101 um, noticing where your competitors are at. And even as a young age, um, 16, 17 racing, I was racing, you know, to, people that's racing Tour de France, Rob McEwen and Stuart O'Grady and a lot of Australian pros at, at that age, I was pretty skinny and pretty young. So you don't have that strength to beat them in a sprint, but you can definitely keep them up in the, in the bunch and, and, and ride with them. Yeah. Um, so, so definitely sporting. I think a lot of it comes down to discipline and I think that's where people are going wrong. It's just a discipline to put yourself out there and, and when things are difficult, like I said, in cycling, when, when you're into that last 5, 10 Ks, especially the last 5 Ks, especially if it's coming into a bunch, if there's guys in that bunch that can't sprint, they want to break away. So all of a sudden you've ridden 50, 60, 100 Ks um, and, it's, and it's a fast pace, you know, you're talking average speeds of 40, 45, 47 Ks an hour. Uh, then you come into the last five Ks and everyone's pretty shattered, but all these people want to break off and try and take the win. So you either let them break off and then you have no chance of winning or you chase them down. So the problem is the last couple of Ks, everyone's breaking off. So as soon as they catch them and you see it in the tour of front, as soon as they bring them back to the peloton, boom, someone else attacks, counterattack, boom, bring them back, counterattack, counterattack. So all of a sudden you might've, you know, chased down someone three or four or different people three or four times but all, of, but you've had no, you've got no energy. You're absolutely shattered with three K's to go. So that ability to dig deep into reserves that you didn't know were possible, I think, super important. And I, and the, the ability for the human spirit and the human psyche to soar, um, I think, has been crushed by comfortability, where when you're surrounded by comfort and you know warmth and soft then makes us soft you know, if we go back to our ancestors they're sleeping on the floor maybe a maybe a uh, an animal um pelt and trying to stay alive from the stable tooth tiger right that that's where our ancestors come from there was no mod yeah. cons where you know we lose our mind when there's no internet connection or it's really slow so you know and our, and our bed has to be that brand new soft Comfort pillow so that I can sleep, have a good night's sleep, and, and and relax for the next day. So, but in saying that, the stresses that we have in the modern world are very very different than we did have fifty years ago. Right, there, there's a lot more stresses. There's a lot more pressure um, financially. You know, the the mortgages that we have on our houses are not twenty six thousand dollars anymore. They're they're close to a million bucks. So. Um, and it's not trying to keep up, but that's just the market here in Australia is going crazy. The market's gone up by 30, 50% in the last 12 months on the Gold Coast. So, so there are a lot more pressures. There's a lot more money to be spent. Um, But yeah, that, that original conversation around, you know, competition and, and drive. And, and the other thing that I think is quite important is, is how you respond to essentially about to lose the game. Right, So I've used the example, if you're playing basketball and it's nine to nine to 50 and it's the last quarter, to be honest, you're probably not going to win the match. You're probably not going to win the game, but how you play that last quarter will probably transfer to the next game. And if you play really well and you kind of bring back some of that deficit and you start to work as a team, then the next quarter of the next game, should start better and I think a lot of people are playing short term they're not playing long term um and I think they would do much much better if they start playing a bit of a longer game
0: what kind of prompts or questions do you use to help you think longer term instead of short term wins medium term possible losses but maybe you trend in the right direction how do you encourage yourself to think longer term uh
1: yeah if you ask my wife I'm, I'm a big long-term thinker. So I'm, I'm like the how maker play uh, that the, uh, I'm, I'm as soon as there's an opportunity in front of me, I, I think of how it can be much, much larger than what this opportunity sees. Um, if anything, what I've had to do is bring it back to a medium and, and short-term focus where how do I just get through the next, you know, week, three weeks, month um, as opposed to waiting for these whales to come into my life. So so yeah thinking long term and and big plays is is something that comes quite easy i don't know where I don't know where that comes from um could be naive optimistic you know um but it could also just be the ability to see things um from more than what it could be um and to bring a little bit more hope and and opportunity but in saying that those random opportunities have really brought a lot of good partnerships in our over the time of the last 20 years of business and those partnerships have brought you know that there's an opportunity right now that could be one of the biggest partnerships we've ever brought into our in our in my life and and it could be worth enough to be quite quite a good reward so yeah thinking short term uh yeah thinking long term is quite easy you know where do you want to be in three months, six months, 12 months. And it's all relative. You know, when, you, when you're single, you're probably just trying to find your next partner when you're married. And I was saying this to a friend on the way home um, today, when you've got kids, um, you know, my oldest is seven in 10 years time, she's going to be 17. And when you think of life like that, you're like 17, I'm not ready. For, I'm actually not ready for my daughter to be 17 in 10 years time. Like I'm not <laughs> I'm not ready for that, <laughs> you know, and that's ten years away. But it's like it's only ten years away because she's already seven, right? So this plus an extra fifty percent, and she's she's she's
0: seventeen. That's crazy. Crazy, yeah. It does it ever get like that with the business side where you think, oh, ten years from now, and then you start to feel a bit anxious maybe maybe you get excited because you think about the bigger picture and because you think further down the line and you think of the potential of it you think about how it could go how amazing would it be if things really transformed in 10 years is that a bit of a trick for your own mind of staying energized and motivated
1: yeah i've been in a few different businesses so so seeing businesses in different places you know when i was when we had the restaurant I, I, to be honest, I probably wasn't. I was quite young. I was 22 years old when we had that. When they had that business for four years, um, I wasn't thinking 10 years because we were working. T- you know, I, I knew that that wasn't be a 10 year tenure. Um, yeah, I knew that was. I knew that I wasn't going to become a. I wasn't going to be a chef at, at 60, right? Um, it just wasn't physically and mentally possible. It was just. It's way too difficult, especially the way we were running it. Um, it was very very um, rewarding financially for, for the business and very uh, efficient but you know long term could you physically do it I just don't think that was possible we, we had to find a different way of doing that um, when I moved into my sales company that was that was 10 years there um, and pretty much from day one I knew that it was going to be a long 10 years if anything what I should have probably done was cut it off at six I probably stayed there a little bit too long being a little bit too loyal um, now that I'm in solar, um, the market is quite different and it's going to change a lot over the next two to five years. Um, we have a very different strategy of what that business is going to look like in the next five years. And it's probably an exit strategy that's involved in that. Um, but consulting, that's, that's something that I'm very passionate about. And that's, that's a, that's really lights me up. You know, solar's great, good margins. Um, great for the environment great for 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 you know helping businesses out reducing capital expense and and residentially Um, but there's an exit this company is built for an exit strategy and and that's the the whole purpose of setting up in the beginning but consulting is different that's a a lot more personal you know i can see myself doing that at 75 80 years old you know Um, and by that stage that's an extra 40 years of 35 or 40 years of, of business growth and business development. And, and then, yeah, it's, it's going to be quite fun. So every business should have, when you go into a business and when you're kind of new to a business, unless it's a passion, like, or it's your skill set. Perfect example. If you're an elite athlete, you know, that there's going to be a, a cutoff point, whether it be physically or, or whatever, you know, 35 for an athlete's pretty old, if we're honest, you know, um, um when you're in business if you're a hairdresser you probably could do that uh till 60 years old in in some way shape or form um from a consulting point of view again you should be able to do that forever you know so i think every business is slightly different um and i think you should know what that business looks like as you move into it um to begin with but not most people don't right
0: it's interesting that you brought up one of the companies that you probably should not have stayed there as long as you did, in hindsight. Do you have many situations like that where thinking long-term has not been as helpful? Like things like that where, oh, stay in the company for 10 years and then you look back and go, started to wane and peck at my brain a little bit from six years, I should probably have, have cut ties and moved on.
1: No, that's the biggest one. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the biggest, you know, if there's ever a regret, that's the biggest one. You know, we lost, we lost nearly half a million dollars into that um, in that process. So, so yeah, that, that's probably the one that will go down in history as the biggest um, effort, if I'm honest.
0: So how important is your ability to sell to people at the moment because your speciality is face-to-face marketing which implies things like conversations and talking to people and how to even start that conversation so do you have any tricks and tips for starting new conversations? I I
1: don't I I know tricks is kind of in sales as tricks, you know, and I, I think the consumer right now is, is quite a complex individual and they're very, very well versed in, into these tricks. Not all of them, but some of them have either gone through, you know, sales programs or they've heard stuff online. So I, I think you've got to be a lot more elegant rather than tricky Um, And I think overall, it just has to be genuine. You know, I I do remember my mum saying that as a child, when I was three years old, I was always saying, hello, man, hello, man, and trying to talk to everyone in the shopping centre. So um, I also do remember getting kicked out of chemistry class in year 12 for talking every single class. So so
0: there's (laughs) (laughs) there's
1: something about me and talking. Um, I just found a way to monetize it now. Um, But yeah. You know, in regard to tricks, I think you have to be genuine. I think you have to be authentic. Um, I've got a saying that comes along when I do my in-home presentations. That every now and then it pops up. And when, you know, when people say yes, like, you know, so I always ask, you know, what was the main reason why we went forward today? Like, what was the reason? And the common answer is, you know, because you're quite transparent and trustworthy and genuine and, you know, don't beat around the bush and, and straight up. You know, and I I think people really appreciate that, you know, I'll I'll tell them if it's not a product that they should buy. I'll also tell them why they shouldn't buy it, you know, and you almost, when you talk someone out of a purchase that they wanted to purchase and you give them a logical reason to not buy that, um, and I think you can gain a lot of trust from that type of conversation. Um, When it comes to conversations, it just, you know, ask them about themselves and I think a lot of people, especially in the sales process, they just don't ask enough questions. You know, if you two or three X your questions and not just how's the weekend, how was Easter? That's, that's, that's not going to lead. that's dumb questions, you know, intelligent questions. Why, what have you tried, to, how have you tried to solve this problem before? Who have you used? Why, why is now the catalyst for this conversation to move forward? Why now? Right. That's a great question to ask. Another great question to ask, without giving all my IP away, is, you know, out, without, you know, if it wasn't for price or outside of price, what would stop you from buying this product today? Well, oh well, you know, probably nothing. Well, that's a good start to a sales presentation, and that happens a lot when they say, well, you know, outside of price, what would stop you? No, no, we we want to buy the product. Okay, well, the next part of this conversation is just don't stuff it up, you know, just ask genuine questions, be the figure of authority, know your, know your stuff. You know, I normally swear a lot more in, in my sales training, but I'll keep
0: it. <laughs> yeah. rated.
1: You know, know your stuff, um, be the expert, be genuine and you're going to go a long way to moving that sale forward. Um, not everyone's going to be closable in the day and you've got to be okay with that, you know, but if you ask intelligent questions, And you get their concerns and fears and doubts and why they shouldn't, you know, why they haven't trusted anyone previously. Um, And then you get their aspirations and what it's going to be like in 12 months' time if they buy the product and what their ideal solution is going to be. And, And the solution that you're trying to provide people might be far ahead of what they actually want to achieve out of it. You know, I say in solar, you know, if you could are you trying to halve your bill? Or are you trying to make money out of the new system? Or what are you trying to do? Oh, if we could to halve it, that'd be great. Well, I know I'm going to at least do that. So when I come to the end of my close and they say, oh, we want to think about it. Well, you've just told me you want to halve your bill. We're now at 75% reduction. You told me that you want a five-year return on your investment. We're now at three. You told me that you were happy to spend X amount of dollars on power, but we're actually 60%, you know, 40% less than that. I, I'm, I'm failing to understand, you know, all the sort of um, attributes of what you wanted to, you, that you told me that you, how you wanted to purchase it and why you wanted to purchase. I've smashed them all. So I'm almost, and you can call them out on that. You know, I'm almost failing to understand why we're not moving forward. Oh, we just got to think about it. Okay, sure. If you don't mind me asking, I'm not trying to be rude, but everything you wanted, I've already delivered. So is it the price or, or what is it? And then when the, and then when you get the, um, the answer, you can open up some negotiation, and and most times, to be honest, most times they just want to feel special. That's what people want. You know, they just want to feel that they've got a great deal and a slightly better deal than next door. That's all.
0: Do you find that it's easier when you can actually deliver on what they? want so there's a bit of an implication of okay well am I good enough to fulfill the needs of the person in front of me before I then feel comfortable about selling it's almost like you need to make sure that you're confident enough in what it is that you're doing but then just being able to deliver the results how they stack up to the person in front of you what they want what their expectations are do you think that that is a bit of a not an inside joke, but almost like an etiquette of selling where you've actually got to be as good as what they are looking for before you can ethically and morally sell it to them.
1: Oh, there's plenty of salespeople out there that can't offer anything, right? There's plenty of closers that can't even close the door. So, yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. When you're looking at um, delivering a presentation, if you don't ask the right questions how do you know your product suits them, right? From a consulting point of view, if you don't ask them maybe how they tried to fix the problem or what the problem actually is, how are you going to deliver your product to them perfectly? What you want to do is package up your product and understand exactly what the customer feels, exactly the frustrations of the customer. And to be honest, if you don't ask questions, it's almost like triage, right? If, someone, if, you, if you're in doctor's surgery or, or more... more um. You know, I've got Spartan as my, so I use quite extreme examples, but you've, you're at war and you're in a MASH unit and the, um, and the triage section doesn't look at you and you just walk in and say, oh, my leg sore. Well, yeah, but the shrapnel in your back that you can't feel that I can see, if, if I don't find the right areas to fix, I'm not going to be working on the, right, on the right stuff or I'm going to miss something. Right? I'm going to miss that internal bleeding because I didn't see that that little blood stain on your on your chest. I'm going to miss that part. So, so business is, is the same. You've got to go triage on it. Is it your sales? Is it your marketing? Usually it's sales. That's, it. that's the easiest way to fix businesses is sales. The hardest thing in business is to fix sales because no one knows how to do it, right? They always want to work on the digital marketing and, and have people line up and just buy their product online. Well, that's great, but you might need to talk to these people, right? Your product might need a conversation around it, especially high ticket items. And then in regards to sales processes, the thing that I do quite um, quite extensively is have a look at every section. You know, if your if you're lead or you get a lead in from how, whatever source it is, you book them into an appointment, that appointment goes and sits, then you, or your presentation, then you, you know, um, and then you might close them, you might do a proposal, depending on what your sales cycle is and what your product is, every section has a drop off point so if you work on your efficiency sales efficiency and increase each section by 5 10 15% i've worked with companies that have increased the lead to stat ratio by 50% from 30 to 80% just by changing a few questions and it wasn't even much literally three questions and all of a sudden that stat ratio, not only are we booking more into sits, so we've got more sat appointments or suitable appointments, then because that first conversation was better getting the customer into a buying mentality as opposed to just see how we go, the, this, the close ratio went up by 20 or 30% instantaneously. Then the gross profit for the company went up by 5% as well. So all of a sudden, so each sale went up in price by 5% and the, and the net margin was 5% more. So that's what a great person that can come into your business can really look at.
0: How do we scale something like this? Because it comes across as very one-to-one. How, how do we turn this into like one-to-many? It seems something that's very difficult to do at a, a sort of bigger scale, like hundreds of people a day or thousands of people a day.
1: In regard to businesses or, or operationally?
0: Um, I think it's more the 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 sales conversations and how we can scale the these ideas. It sounds like a complicated thing to do.
1: Uh well it's still a process and a system. And what usually happens, your sales manager can't sell. And I'll say that very respectfully because there's some great sales managers out that can manage people. There's also some horrible sales managers. Our, and I, do, I don't have a percentage for that, but I would say the large majority, number one, they can't sell and number two, they can't manage. <clears throat> if you're the sales manager and your sales are low, it comes down to you. It doesn't come down to leads. And, I, and, and then also the other part of um, sales management is the ability to be able to sell yourself. And if you've got a great salesperson, to make them the sales manager, it can actually be a bad thing. Not only do you lose the revenue that that great sales heavy hitter can actually do for the business, you also move into a situation where that the people around them think that it's impossible to get those numbers. So it almost becomes a KPI that is unachievable so before they even go into trying to hitting that, they know it's not possible. So why would I even bother? The, the other part and the other um, very interesting part about sales management is the ability to pass on the skills that you have from a technical point of view is one thing. So talking in front of a classroom saying this is what I do is one thing. The other part of that part, <laughs> and we're splitting, is getting uh, you know, down even further is the ability to understand why people are missing sales. And that technicality of the, you know, watching them pitch or watching them, that is a quite a unique skill and quite a technical process that, that not many people understand.
0: So is that about the mentality of the people? Like you said, if it's unattainable, we won't even try, that sort of thing. It sounds to me like it's the story between the ears, so to speak, with this.
1: It can be a lot of, but it also comes down to technical skills. You know, sales is a skill. Accounting is a skill. Recruitment is a skill, right? Um, Marketing is a skill. Being a lawyer is a skill. So everything in business is a skill. Every principle and every um, pillar that we have in business is a skill. But it needs to be learnt. And sales, for the most part, if you look at most sales companies, their technical understanding of sales is very, very low, very low. They just were great at conversation, like we said originally, great at conversation. They were, had the ability to work with people and understand customers and they closed a few sales and now all of a sudden they're, they've gone from customer service to sales and, and that's it. So you find that the baseline level of sales skills and the, un- the, the ability to understand consumer psychology and how to close deals and the technical part of sales, which takes years and years and years and, and you got to learn it. It's just not there. So sometimes what happens whenever I go into a business and I'm training the salespeople, I'll always tell how good the baseline sales skills from my training. And it's pretty much the start is always the same because I need to fix the gaps. And there's always huge gaps. <clears throat> the dr- the. Ability for them to pick up the baseline sales skills, which I taught in my company for the first two weeks. And some of these guys that have been in sales for 40 years have never heard this stuff, which is crazy to me. Um, usually the sales go down usually by 20 or 30%. And that's how I know when the, when the basic sales skills is just not in that company, when that sales drop dramatically. And then, the, and then what happens, the CEO comes to me and the CFO comes to me it's like, we're paying you all this money, why are sales dropped? because the guys don't know how to sell. I said, trust me, in three to six months, they will be killing it, but they just don't know how to sell.
0: If we were to look under the hood a little bit, one of the things that sparked in my brain is the idea of trying to persuade people into this being product or service being the thing that they need in order to get what it is that they want or feel how they want to feel, that sort of thing. Are there any go-to phrases that like you mentioned, why now, why is this suddenly shifted for you to the point where you want to do something about this? That'll make them think about why it's important for them to get this thing, to achieve this thing or whatever it is. Are there any more... Little tweaks that you would suggest only need to be like words or phrases or different ways of communicating. You know, if you be too aggressive, it'll make them defensive and and that sort of thing. So, what sort of things have you come across that have helped tweak conversations as such to make them more effective?
1: Yeah, so, um, usually out of interest, or you know, I'll start the conversation if you don't mind me asking if you don't mind me asking is a very good way to start a very um, deep conversation with someone. You know, if you don't mind me asking, um, what happened? You know, your father passed away. If you don't mind me asking, what happened? I can, I can ask very, very personal questions by starting with if you don't mind me asking. Right. So, so that, that's a good one. Um, The other thing I think in, in regard to being genuine and every product is slightly different. So if you give me a product, I can probably find out better, better, um, uh, better questions. But let's let's stick with solar because that's what we're doing right now, you know, and I think a lot of people can resonate with that because I've either had a conversation with a solar uh, representative or they've thought about solar. Uh, if you have thought about solar, go to our website. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, um, but, you know, out of interest, you know, what, what, what are you trying to achieve? You know, what would you like to have achieved from the conversation today? You know, what do you know about the product so far? What would you like to know about the product? And then what are the outcomes, you know, moving forward? Let's say, you know, we install it on the roof and in 12 months' time, we i, I give you a call and see how everything's working. What would you like to have? What does that look like, right? Um, the phrases that are emotional are very good. You know, how does it feel? What does it look like? Um, what would you, you know, th- those are very, very good questions to ask around that conversation. Um, but, but yeah. It, you know, in regard to you know the 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 singular phrases, it's a very live and dynamic environment. And how most people—and this is not to deflect from what phrases do I actually have—but um, it it shouldn't be a scripted. This is what I say. This is how it does. So I've got my you know I've got my structure and, and how I want to introduce myself. And then you know um, when when I'm selling solar, I'll, I'll tell the customer. So. When your uh, phrase like, when this is installed on your roof, this is where it's going to go. Are you happy with that? Is this what it looks like aesthetically? What would you, what don't you want to have? I don't want panels on the front of my house. Okay, fantastic. We're not going to put on, I, I can only give you my expert opinion on what is going to be best for the sunshine, you know? But at the end of the day, when I walk away and it's installed on your roof, um, you're going to have to look at it for 20 years. So if you don't want them on your front of your house, and if you're in Northern and Southern Hemisphere, it's different, right? So if you don't want it on the front of your house, then we'll find another solution. But they, to be honest, they will be best on the front, but I don't have to look at them. So you will. And you'll love the savings off your bill, but you'll hate me because you're going to look at them every day. And some people think they're ugly and, you know, it is really. So so just being um, real with a customer and, and knowing that there's that, um, a lot of... Uh, you know, from, from what customers tell me, a lot of sales reps don't even do that. They say, well, this is where, this is where it's going to go. Well, who, if you are spend the money with me, shouldn't you have a bit of say in, on what happens in this solution, especially when it's not, you know, it's not $200. We're talking 10, tens of thousands of dollars commercially. It could be a hundred grand. So you, you should have some, they should have a very large input, you know, and especially when you're dealing with commercial, you're dealing with very dominant people. Right, CEOs and CFOs and and operations managers, and they tell people what to do. So, who am I to tell a CEO of a multi-million-dollar company or even larger multinational, who am I to say, oh, I'm just going to do this for you, and I'm going to tell you what's like, nah, bro.
0: <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be there definitely be a lot of people that have something to say about that. Um, It it seems like you would, in some ways, sacrifice the outcome for the customer being more than happy with how it works, or how it's done, or the process. You would say, okay, you're probably not going to get as much sunshine, let's say, on the tiles. But it will look how you want it. It will end up something that's more satisfactory to you, even if the outcome isn't as big or dramatic as perhaps they'd hoped.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, like I said, the customer's paying for the product that, and they're paying for my, my life. You know, the, my customers pay for my kids, my customers pay for my school, my kids' schooling, my customers pay for our cars. So I'm very respectful for, for what the customers can do for my life. Um, I'm also under, very understanding of of where the customer's at, from my financial situation, um, uh, how they how they've been interacted previously, and for for me to stand out, you know, same in any situation, whether I'm working for someone else or myself, um, I just have to be something different and someone that they want to talk to, right? That that's you know, I don't have to be their best friend, but I have to be friendly, you know, I don't have to know everything, but I have to know enough to 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 solve the issues that they have. Um whereas a lot of people in sales they try and be super technical or or the opposite super friendly. And I think when you become a friend, it's very easy for them to say no to you. And conversely when you're super technical, it's just they don't understand it. So you, you need it you need a very, very good combination and a very strong strong combination of both. But you don't need to know everything and you don't need to be the best friend. But you need to give them the solution that they're happy with. That's what it comes down to. And if you pro- and 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 on that point, if your product doesn't serve them and it doesn't make their life better, you should not sell it to them.
0: How do we get to the sweet spot of trust then? Because it seems like if they are more friendly, if they start to feel a bit closer to you, that could give them a sort of casual no sorry not interested and then your brain would probably click into oh okay fair enough we're friendly it's fine so it kind of reduces the charge for want of a better expression of the conversation where there's a sweet spot of they've got to actually like me as well they can't hate me but trust me somewhat at the same time those two don't go together either how does the sweet spot look and do you have any insights on how to get to that sweet point point? and how do you know when you've crossed over to the dark side
1: oh you'll know you'll know don't, don't worry you'll know you know it, and what a lot of salespeople and and people that are in business probably what they don't do is review their processes enough <clears throat> they just don't review it So when they leave a customer's house or leave an appointment or leave a presentation or leave a proposal, um, you should spend, you know, 10, 20, 30% of the time that you spent in that proposal, just reviewing what happened, what didn't work, what did work, where did I lose the sale? And if you understand your systems and processes and you have a strong system rather than just free flow, which is not systematic, which is not replicable, which is not, you know, duplicated to anyone else. It's purely free float, free freestyle, which is not a great way to sell um, because it's all personality based. And when you, and the reason why it's not very good is when things aren't going right, you have no baseline to work out what's happening. Right? So when you're selling and you're freestyling and you're super confident, amazing. No one else can do that in the business. So that doesn't help. And when things aren't going right, because of whatever reason, you have no baseline to work out what to do differently or where you went wrong. So you need to have a strong, strong system. <clears throat> um, and then on review of that, if, if you're quite an intelligent salesperson or quite an intelligent business owner, which we all think we are, um, you should be able to know exactly where you lost the sale because there'll be a point where the body language changes. The conversation turns a little bit okay, what happened there? Um, and it may not be as obvious as what you think. Most times it's not. It's not like, all right, we're done here. Sometimes it is. I've done. I've worked with the engineers and I know exactly where I lost the sale and I was just trying to just qualify them. I was just trying to work out what their problem actually was. And he, he looked at me and he goes, mate, don't, don't tell me with the salesman stuff. Um, just tell me what the, you know, just give me a quote. And I said, how am I supposed to give you a proposal? If I have no idea what's happening, I said, you're going to better spend 10 grand with myself and the company, but but I can't ask questions. I said, what am I even here for now? When you have a conversation like that, you're not going to get anywhere, right? It's dead. Like we we're dead in the water, but almost the point where I need to get some sort of assertiveness and authority, assertiveness and authority back for myself. So when I go into the next conversation, I'm not just walked over like this one. And it was like, you know, I, I just basically said, you know, what I'm even here, what do you even get me out here if you know everything about this industry? And it, it's impossible that the consumer should know more about this indes- any industry than you do. Sometimes they know a lot. Let's say, you know, if you're buying a car or a commodity or an iPhone, that's quite possible that lots of people know about the new iPhone coming out because they've been really wanting to get it. But also that's not really salesmanship. They just run out of the 12 and they need the 13. That's just that's pretty simple right um so so when you're um reviewing your conversation you should know where you've lost the sale and you'll know where you've been too friendly all right julian look it's not really for me but thanks for your time and it's been great and you know not let's catch up for a beer it's never like that but it's just the types of question (laughs) you're asking no one ever asked me out for beer but I'm not there to make friends I'm there to to do deals and I'm there to to generate an income for sale and the company and let it solve a problem um i don't I don't need more friends I don't have enough time for my for, for our own our own family so um, <laughs> yeah. the, the The concern for the most part is being too friendly and it's just come down to the questions. keep it on point you know if you're looking at a a curve and you've got the baseline you know sp- uh, for a better term, from the open to the close. Straight line, the fastest way to the close is, is a straight line. You're gathering intelligence, building rapport, gathering intelligence, building rapport, using that intelligence to build rapport. But it has to be on point with what the conversation and what the product or service is. You know, ask questions around that subject. When you start talking about random stuff that, that doesn't apply to anything, you, all you're doing is building rapport um, that that's good for a term. So I love, I'm into motorsport. Now I had this couple that um, actually gave me a t-shirt and a hat cause they, they got so much merch and, and they were into motorsport heavily themselves. So we will talk, you know, five, 10, maybe 15 minutes around that and what cars they saw and this and the, you know, the formula one at the moment and what happened last year. And, and that's great. That makes it very, very personable. But to be honest, most people that I speak to, most people, they don't care that much about it. They just don't. Nor do I know enough about all topics to have those deep conversations with, you know, motorsports are a big topic for me. So F1, if you don't watch it, you shouldn't talk about it too much, you know? <laughs> you know, there's lots of things. So, so just keep it on point. Keep it um, where the customer wants to be. That the customer knows why you're there. The customer's not thinking that you want to talk about Formula 1 for the next 5 to 15 to 20 minutes. We're not here to talk about Formula 1. We're here to do business, do deals or not do deals. And it's just that simple.
0: How would you suggest people read the situation so that they know when they're, With somebody that's, look, I don't need the preamble, I don't need the, how was your grandfather, isn't the weather horrible outside, isn't it always warm? How do you know you're in front of somebody that is that way inclined versus someone that might need a bit of like warming up, so to speak, into the conversation rapport building wise? How do you read that situation?
1: Normally, it's how long the answers are.
0: <laughs> okay, know. I'm going to have to, uh, have to ask <laughs> you to explain that one. Yeah.
1: So, so almost what I just did then, you're asked a long question and short answers. That's it. You know, short question, long answers. They want to talk a little bit more. And sometimes that's even worse too, right? Because then they can get confused and they, they lose sight of where the goalpost is. So you've got you to gotta make sure that you're like a shepherd and bringing them back, the sheep back into the pen. You know, I'm trying to get them all in, all around them all off and, and I've got, I'm hurting cats at the moment. They're all over the place, you know, and if there's two or three of them there, whew, conversations could be going everywhere. So you've got to keep it on point, you know, and, and sometimes I need a bit of a, a, a coaching back, you know, the worst, probably, you know, you ask me the questions to ask the worst phrase question word to say when you're building rapport is, so anyway, is a, terrible way to interject or segue it all that basically means is yeah okay well I don't really know how to handle this because I'm not skilled enough to elegantly bring it back this is not really going where I need it to go so I'm just gonna cut off you and whatever you said doesn't matter and let's bring it back to me that's really what those two words mean
0: it also sound it also sounds like you completely dismissed everything that they've said like Everything. So anyway, it's like, oh, so you weren't really paying attention then?
1: Nothing. Nothing you said mattered at all. All I was doing was listening enough for a break to shut
0: you up and to bring it back. Listening enough for a break. <laughs> 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 I, 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 As soon as you said that, my brain went, oh. So it's like, it doesn't matter after all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So anyway, I was like, oh, wow, that's <laughs> a terrible way. So, so yeah, you, you gotta be, it's all about elegance, right? You know, that's just, you, you don't need to hip and shoulder people across lines. You don't need to push them. You know, these pushy sales people, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm probably the most aggressive, pushy salesperson that I've met, but the customer will never feel that. The reason why I'm pushing aggressive, because I just don't give up. I'll follow you tell me to tell me to, f off like i'll follow up and follow up and follow up and send emails and call i'll do it for months on end almost to the point where i'm the last guy left they've forgotten about everything they even forgot about the product and they go oh actually yeah we spoke to you last year yeah you know what it's something's happened and my you know whatever's happened and it's actually more relevant now than last time and yeah like i'm just the last guy standing
0: that's it It's a very interesting point, actually. It's almost like if you can beat everybody else just by not giving up, then you'll automatically sell more. Yeah,
1: easy. Like, not easy because it takes work, but if you're the last one standing, then you're the last one to solve their problem. And everyone's given up ages ago because you were just too difficult as a customer. But the customer's in their own built buying cycles, right? The customer's in their own financial cycles. The customer's in their own life cycles. And it's all timing, that's how relationships work. That's why you didn't marry the first girlfriend, and you know your first partner that you probably didn't marry. If you did, that was just the cycle that you're in, right? <laughs> Simple.
0: Yeah, it's it's well said to be fair, and I think more people need to be a bit more understanding of that as well. And and I guess as long as, as you said, you're pushy, but the customers don't feel it, speaks to. The communication style you know when to push and when to back off you know the things to say and how to say them and it all just comes back to a combination of selling but also being a conversationalist like your ability to just talk to people and be a bit more candid than others be a bit more upfront and be honest and be authentic and all of the buzzwords all wrapped into one that just says I'm going to be a person I'm not going to be a robot I'm not going to be just trying to sell you something that you probably don't want probably don't even need right now and there's no possible way I can do it in the most perfect way for you why would I sell it to you?
1: And on that, I've actually walked away from deals that I know I could have pushed across the line. I could have just taken control that didn't really know what was going on. I could have just said, look, should we just help? Should we just get it on the roof? And I've, but I've said, look, it's, it's just not going to be beneficial for you. You're, you're actually wasting your money and I don't need that money from them and them to walk away and go, I've got a rubbish deal. Number one, there's people out there that make our industry harder than what it needs to be. And that's not solar, that's across sales, right? Since the first sale was ever made probably biblical times or before that, outside of bartering, right? There's people that got ripped off. And I just, you know, if anyone's ever been ripped off, it's, it's a shit way to feel.
0: You know? Yeah, it is. And I, I've experienced it more than I care to admit. And I think very often it comes from me not just saying no, and going with my own gut as someone that's being sold to and sometimes i don't know if it's called gaslighting or whatever it is Is to try to make you feel bad by saying no so you end up saying yes because it feels better in the moment because of how bad they've made you feel to begin with
1: yeah that's that's you know there's certain pers- there's certain personalities in the world that are um non-combative non-confrontational um and, and there's probably people out there that listen to the podcast that <clears throat> potentially are in a relationship they shouldn't be in, but they just can't, you know, be in that anymore. But they're in a job that they don't really feel great in. The boss kind of treats them in a certain way. Um, they're, they're listening to the podcast and there's heaps mm-hmm. of ideas, but they won't apply really all of it because it's just not them. And my, my answer to that is that how long are you going to keep doing that for? How long are you going to keep disrespecting yourself for and not increasing your self-worth? How long are you going to keep doing that for? Because unfortunately, what you've got right now, you've asked for or you've not necessarily asked for and said, look, I want a bad relationship. I want a shit job. I like not so much that, but you've tolerated that and you're still there because it's too hard to leave. Well, choose your hard, right?
0: Yeah, it it seems as well like it's a combination of tolerating it, but also mm. I think there's something called commitment bias as well, where the thing that you've been doing for twenty years is going to be better than starting something new, just because you'd likely have to start from the beginning in some cases. Could um, be the best
1: thing you've ever done.
0: Yeah, could be yeah. the best,
1: and it probably will be, but you just got to give it a shot. You just got to try, you know, because if you don't, you know, what would be worse that you try and it doesn't work out and then you find a different path, but the path that you're on, you know, that's not the right path. You know, you're on the wrong path anyway. So you might as well try a different one. And then if that doesn't work, jump on another one, you've just done it once, try it again. Like you'll find the right path. The universe will provide the right path. If you have the right intention and attention to that, you just got to, you just got to, just jump you know you probably won't die you'll be okay you know how many times you've been (laughs) in a situation before where you thought you know broken up with a partner or whatever and you think oh I'm never gonna I'm never gonna feel like this again like it's just terrible and then all of a sudden in three months time you touch yourself and you're like oh I'm still I'm still here all right well okay move on you know and then and then something else happens and that's great or not so great and then you kind of get through that adversity and you're like oh i'm i'm still I'm whole again you know like i you know there might be parts of my heart missing or parts of finances missing or something gone or or you feel a little bit jaded but at the end of the day you're still you're still in the game that that's that's one thing that i think a lot of people are missing like it it's how you play the game you know and everyone's risk tolerance is different <clears throat> definitely mine's very very high i've got a high risk tolerance which is good and bad um but i, I think people uh, just gotta you just gotta give it a bit you just gotta risk a bit more just try you know burn the boats you know what tony robbins says burn the boats and and um and uh in can grow rich burn the boats i do think that's a scary scary thing like if you've got, so for me to burn the boat, so I've got four kids and a mortgage and cars and I'm the only one making the money. That's not maybe the best thing that I could do. So if I was in a steady job and making good money and I wanted to start a new business and I wasn't really too sure on how to do that, <clears throat> jumping straight away is probably a really crap idea. Really bad, probably. Most times it's probably really bad. It could be the best thing I've ever done, but it's probably going to be a bad idea. Especially if you've no no skill set in new business, not really too sure. You've never seen it done before. You don't have a really good circle of people that are that are in this situation. You know that are, that are successfully in business. Yeah. If your network's not very strong, this, it's probably going to be a ver- it's commercial suicide right now, and you're probably going to go through some seriously difficult times. So just be careful about burning all those boats straight away. I'm not saying that you shouldn't look behind. Like once you move into like don't look behind, but just be mindful of how quickly you light those boats up.
0: Share some parting advice for those that are tuning in, Julian. It's been fantastic to have you on the show as always. And we'll share how people can find out more about you. But uh, do you have any parting words of wisdom for us?
1: Uh, I think there's a lot in, in that people can do for their own lives, you know. And and we're all guilty of, of not maximizing certain opportunities in certain times. I think be mind, you know the thing the lessons that the hard lessons that I've learned myself is be careful with where your loyalty lies, and that comes back to the conversation where I probably should, probably should have left <clears throat> business four years earlier. Um, that was you know that was nearly a half million dollar lesson, so I learned those pretty quickly. I'm sure if anyone loses half a mil, that you you learn that lesson. So just be mindful of of where you're sitting in whatever marketplace or whatever job or commercial enterprise you're in to be careful with the intent of those around you, because you might be in a situation where the intent of those around you are designed to win for themselves rather than you. Um, that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned in nearly 20 years of business. And that's kind of happened a few times, but that was the biggest one. And that was the, that's the final one that I'm like, yeah. Hmm. All right. I'll learn it. Universal keep teaching lessons until you learn it. Right. Um, the other one is is the other one that's been very very financially rewarding is is building a network. And I know people talk about it a lot, but people don't really talk into what that actually means. When you're building networks, have meetings with lots of people. If anyone says let's catch up for a meeting, take it. And I and I'm I mean that I've not had many meetings, especially now that you know business acumen's a little bit, a lot higher than what it used to be when I first started business. I can definitely offer a lot more to people now that I did, you know, year one of business. Um, I can definitely see opportunities that, uh, that, are that are kind of unique to, to how this partnership or operation could go. Um, although I did have a meeting the day that, um, met them on LinkedIn and, you know, I met a lot of people through LinkedIn and then we, um, we, we caught up and, and, uh, yeah. It was very strange. They're like, are we going to do a deal here? And there was no deal to be had. There was not even anything on. And I was like, what the hell was that? I'm not used to doing, I'm not used to meeting without deals. Like let's do a deal. <laughs> what are <we> doing here? <laughs> so like, I love to do deals. That's why I go for breakfast. So, so yeah. So be, be mindful of the people that you, that you meet that, you know, you got to be able to offer them something. Um, and just slowly build that network. If you're new to the game, that's okay. Like we've all been new once or twice. Listen to people giving um advice, but make sure that their life and their lifestyle is what you would want. You know. Perfect example, if someone's in a rubbish job with a bad relationship, then I probably won't listen to them when it comes to um, other relationships or their or their job prospects because why well, would I listen to someone that I don't want their life, right? No don't be disrespectful, but Build your network and be mindful of who your loyalty lies with is probably the biggest two tips that's been able to generate um, the, the most money for us.
0: How can people learn more about you? And if they want to enter your world, where can they go?
1: Yeah, jump on the website, Um If anyone's looking in Australia for commercial or residential solar, eecgroup.energy, um, or just send me an email. Um, I get back to all the emails for people writing me anything so jvd at Julianvandor.com and i'd love to hear from you
0: thank you so much for being a guest on the show for those that are listening make sure you subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our future episodes leave a review wherever you are listening into your podcast and feel free to share the show tell others spread the word and i look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode
1: awesome mate thanks for having me
0: If you want to join a community of like-minded people that are on the journey for health, wealth and happiness, then my fulfillment community, my inner circle, is for you. You get continuous support from myself and also the opportunity to be supported, helped, guided and collaborate with the other members as well. And also you get the chance to ask my podcast guests questions, plenty of people in there already. So if you click the link in the description for the episode, you get access to a two month free trial and you're under no obligation to continue and you can cancel whenever you want. Hopefully I'll see you there and I look forward to helping you on your journey.